the first three years of the Trump administration were a series of loyalty tests, and impeachment is the final exam. This is the time when all of these loyalty tests actually matter because it brings conservative media around him, it brings Republicans around him, and it makes sure that that, that bulwark of conservative institutions stays firm. I'm Ezra Klein, and this is Impeachment Explained. Last week, at the end of the episode, I asked you to answer a question for me on Twitter, which is, which presidential abuses should become articles of impeachment and which should be left to voters in an election? And I asked that for a reason. One is that it is the central question House Democrats are struggling with. But two, we've been working with Perry Undum and Ipsos on a national poll exploring Americans' answer to that very question. And we've got the results back now. This is the first time anyone is hearing them publicly. And they're fascinating. And they are depressing. Let me start here. We asked if an elected official is found to have broken the law or abused the powers of office, should there be a way to remove them from office or should it just be left to voters? And a huge majority of Americans of every political party say we should be able to remove them from office. 71 percent. That includes 83 percent of Democrats, 69 percent of independents, and importantly, 61 percent of Republicans. So that is a point of consensus. If the president broke the law or abused power, an impeachment-like process is merited. We need one. And here's the thing. Americans don't think that kind of behavior is rare. They think it's common. Listen to this. 26% of Democrats and 35% of independents and 36% of Republicans think a majority of elected officials either break the law or abuse the power of their office. So under this theory, not only do we need something like impeachment, but its usage should not be rare. Because look how many politicians are screwing us. So then we got specific in the poll. What counts as a high crime and misdemeanor? What counts as that, that, that constitutional language that should trigger impeachment? Does dishonesty to the American people, that's the low bar. 63% said yes. How about abusing the powers of your office for political gain? 80% said yes. 80%, including two-thirds of Republicans. How about abusing the powers of your office to enrich yourself? 88% said yes, including 82% of Republicans. So there is actually a huge amount of consensus here. If a president abused the powers of office for personal or political gain, that is a high crime and misdemeanor. That merits a removal process. So you, you may wonder, what is all this fighting about? Isn't this just going to be easy? But then we asked... Do you think a president of the United States pressuring another country to investigate a political rival, is that a high crime and misdemeanor? Is it just morally wrong? Or is that business as usual, something presidents do all the time? 51% of Americans say it's a high crime and misdemeanor, 51%. That is 77% of Democrats. It's 52% of independents, but it is only 22%, 22 of Republicans. Now, 65% say getting a foreign country to investigate your political rivals is morally wrong. That's huge majorities of Democrats and independents, 89% and 74% respectively. But only 39% of Republicans, only 39% even call that morally wrong. 39%. And here's the thing. 44% of the country 
says presidents pressure other countries to investigate their domestic political rivals all the time. Now, only 28% of Democrats say that, and only 37% of independents say it, but 65% of Republicans, almost two-thirds of Republicans, say that getting another country to investigate your domestic political rivals, that is what American presidents do all the time. 65% of Republicans say that. This then is how Republicans seem to be processing Trump's action. Initially, remember, the idea was he didn't do it. The whistleblower was lying, had no firsthand knowledge of what happened. There was no quid pro quo. Nobody could prove a quid pro quo. That defense collapsed quickly and totally under the White House releasing its call record and then even the edited call record and the testimonies of top officials before the House. So now the argument appears to be this. Yes, Trump did it. He did it. But it's fine. It's fine that he did it. Pressuring a foreign government to investigate your chief domestic political rival, it's not wrong. And even if it is wrong, I mean, everybody does it. How can you punish him for something everybody does? That's the level of cynicism Trump is forcing his supporters to embrace. It's not quite, as Nixon famously said, when the president does it, that means it's not illegal. It's when the president does it, that means it's normal. The scary thing about that is it could become true. It could become a self-fulfilling prophecy. If the Republican Party chooses to treat what Trump has done as normal, to protect him from consequences or sanction, to rationalize it as part of the traditional, typical, acceptable give and take of American politics, then perhaps it becomes normal. Perhaps it just becomes a tactic. We don't get the political system we deserve. We don't get the political system we imagine. We get the political system we accept. But these expectations, these rationalizations, they don't manifest on their own. On the right, they're the product of one of the central structural differences between this era and the Nixon period, the rise of the conservative media ecosystem. And after the break, Nicole Hemmer, uh, a Columbia historian who's done definitional brilliant work on the conservative media universe, joins me to explain. Nicole Hemmer, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I want to begin with a conversation between Geraldo Rivera and Sean Hannity. Um, and let's let's listen into it. You know, if it wasn't your show, Sean, they would destroy him absolutely. You're the difference between uh, Donald J. Trump and Richard Nixon. Uh, in Nixon's case, if he had someone that stuck up for him, he wouldn't have been, uh, you know, uh, motivated to cover up that burglary. Is Sean Hannity and Fox News a difference between Donald J. Trump and Richard Nixon? Yes, he is. I mean, every once in a while you turn on Fox News and there are these moments of self-reflection when they hit the nail right on the head. And I think that this is one of those moments because... Having a not just Sean Hannity, but the entire Fox media and more broadly, the conservative media ecosystem repeating whatever messages the Trump administration wants, that has been a powerful force for Donald Trump in the campaign, in his presidency. And now it's proving to be a critical one during these impeachment hearings. As I've been talking to historians of Watergate or journalists who covered Watergate or politicians who participated in it, one of my stock questions is what's different? now than then. And the answer I get from everyone is Fox News. And as a historian of conservative media, can, can you just compare the conservative media ecosystem of 1973 and 2019? 
Sure. Well, the first thing to note is that it was much, 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 much smaller. Conservatives wanted to own the airwaves and they wanted to be driving the conversation. But all of these efforts that they had put into place over the 1950s and 1960s had really only resulted in a handful of radio shows and newsletters and magazines like the National Review. So there was a conservative media ecosystem, but it was pretty tiny at the time. And it definitely wasn't something that other media outlets felt that they needed to respond to. Now, that's very, very different. By the 2000s, you have, you know, wall-to-wall conservative radio programs. You have Fox News. Now you have the proliferation of all these other conservative news outlets. You have right-wing internet sites. That's a much, much different force than conservative media was back in the 1970s. Where the comparison is really important, though, is that if you go back and you look at the coverage of, say, National Review of the Watergate scandal, they're making the exact same arguments that Fox News is making about Donald Trump's impeachment hearings now. It's just that they didn't have any impact because they were so small. Richard Nixon wanted to create something like Fox News, if I'm not wrong. No, you're exactly right. Um, Richard Nixon, as people who are familiar with his career will know, was someone who was obsessed with media coverage and, in fact, blamed journalists for killing his political career back in the um, early 1960s. So he runs for president in 1960 and he loses and then he runs for governor of California in 1962 and he loses that. And then after he loses the governor's race in California, he goes down and he has this infamous press conference where he blames the media for his loss. And that's something that he carries with him throughout his political career, this idea that journalists have it out for him. And if he doesn't control the message, then he's never really going to be able to exercise real power. And that's something that comes through in his presidency. When he becomes president, he's looking for ways to sidestep or bypass journalists in general. And he teams up with Roger Ailes, who was somebody who was a a communications advisor to the White House. And Roger Ailes floats this idea of what he calls GOP TV. And this is a little different from Fox News, right? It's in an era where we don't have cable news. But GOP TV were basically like these, these news packages that you would send out to local news stations, and then they could play them in order to fill airtime. And they were very pro-administration messages. And so this is actually more like... Uh, If your listeners are familiar with Sinclair Media and the sort of local news stations that are a conglomerate of conservative news, that's it's it's more like that. Um, Although there was, I will say, there was a plan by conservative activists to try to buy up all of the shares of CBS News so that they could turn CBS into a right wing network. They never pulled that off. (laughs) So one question here is. We used to have a partisan press. I mean, the early newspapers were partisan newspapers. How much is what we're entering a return to historical norms as opposed to a historical aberration? I actually think this is a great question because there's a real tendency to both fetishize and to to normalize this really short period in American journalism history where there is this devotion to an idea of objectivity. But that doesn't really emerge until you know, sometime in the first third of the 20th century. Before that, you're exactly right. We had these partisan papers that were pro-Democrat or pro-Republican or pro-Whig, depending on whatever the party of the day was. I think that 
There is a difference, though. This isn't just a return to that, because in many ways, the return to partisan media has been so markedly asymmetrical. That is, that there is this conservative media complex that has grown quite large and quite powerful and deeply embedded in the power structures of the Republican Party. But there hasn't really been that same thing happening with liberals in the Democratic Party. It's not to say that there are no left-wing media outlets that are self-consciously ideological. Of course, there are. But it doesn't have the same relationship to the Democratic Party. I mean, think about the ways that Republicans over the past 20 years, whenever they cross Rush Limbaugh, people lose their minds. So you you have people like Michael Steele, who was the head of the Republican National Committee, saying one sort of critical thing about Rush Limbaugh, and he's forced to apologize to him. Somebody like Rachel Maddow at MSNBC does not have in any way, shape, or form that kind of relationship to the Democratic Party or to liberal activists. And so, yes, you do have this partisan press, but it's not equivalent. And I'm not sure that the partisan press of the 19th century was so divorced from what was actually happening in the world. I think that there is a kind of bubble effect that we don't see in the 19th century that exists today. One of the things that is tricky in this conversation, but I think is actually important, is distinguishing the idea from news reportage that happens in a very professional way, but happens to be done from a somewhat more conservative perspective, from conservative media entertainment. And oftentimes I will hear people make the argument that the mainstream media has some amount of liberal bias, which I think is is true, actually, certainly on social issues. I think if you look in big city newsrooms and most of these uh, newspapers or media organizations are in New York or they're in L.A. or they're in D.C., you know, people are overwhelmingly pro-choice. They're pro-immigrant. Um, they're not necessarily pro-single-payer health care, but they're, but they're culturally liberal. <laughs> but they do a pretty good job on the news. And that actually, as I see it, did not leave that much room for just conservative news because people just weren't that underserved. What it created a lot of room for was conservative media. And somebody like Sean Hannity or Tucker Carlson or some of these other players, uh, Laura Ingram, they're not trying to report the news in the same way. What they're trying to create is a conservative narrative and storyline. And what's striking uh, about that is that the person who is the best customer is Donald Trump, that he is not just creating like a state propaganda network. He is the person who believes in it and it shapes his actions. And that's a very different situation than just having a conservative news dimension to your media. I think that's right. And I think that is a a pretty important distinction. And I think that you're also right in zeroing in on the question of audience or appetite, right? Because if you are tuning into something because it's conservative, what you're looking for is most likely not just a set of reported facts about the world, if you're ideologically motivated to seek out that news source, you're probably looking for something that has a little bit more of an argument, um, that's a little bit more opinionated. And there have been efforts um, over the past 30 to 40 years to create sort of conservative journalism, but it hasn't really had the same power as conservative opinion. That has really been kind of the heart of conservative media over the past 40 years. When it comes to Donald Trump, 
One of the most interesting things about his presidency is not that Fox News is operating as state television, but rather that whatever they put on air, Donald Trump tends to believe. And so that actually has real consequences, and it actually has real consequences for something like the impeachment inquiry. It does seem, and it's hard to parse anyone's actual beliefs and their heart, but it does seem like Donald Trump genuinely believed that there was this democratic conspiracy in 2016 that somehow involved Ukraine and involved the server and involved all of these other moving pieces that he just needed to expose. And the moment that he exposed it, then everyone would be on his side. And you can tell that there was this belief by the actions of the administration, by people heading all over the the, the world and this, this sort of Carmen San Diego, let's go to Italy, let's go to Ukraine to find this server and to hunt down this conspiracy. It was something that Donald Trump really believed. And this is the flip side of having a state media that tells you everything that you want to hear and will repeat any sort of conspiracy theory. If you believe those conspiracies, you get led down a rabbit hole pretty quickly. And I think that's part of what happened with Ukraine. Yeah, this to me is such an important point about this, because I think the the conventional wisdom about Fox News and Breitbart and the rest of the, this ecosystem is that it is protecting Trump from impeachment. But as you say, the evidence is also that it lured Trump down the path that led to this impeachment process, that a lot of these conspiracy theories, they originated with people like Peter Schweizer, who is an editor-at-large for Breitbart, John Solomon, who is a conservative columnist for The Hill. They were promoted in tons of different Fox News and Breitbart and related uh, channels. And that Donald Trump bought it. I mean, the point of having Pravda is it it's a place where the government can lie to the people. It is a very strange inversion of that relationship where the point of having these networks is it it's a place where the president lies to himself. I think that's an excellent way of putting it. And I think that that is precisely the problem here is that it is one thing to provide these messages. And I'm not saying that even most viewers believe everything that Fox News says. But what Fox News does is it provides them a handy set of talking points, um, interpretations that people can then use, whether they're Republicans in Congress or whether they're ordinary voters, to say, okay, this is how we're going to explain why the president did this. But because you have a president who is very television-oriented, who is very prone to believe, in many ways, his own press, um, because he believes that, it causes him to act in ways that actually dig the hole deeper for him and make it much more difficult to provide cover for him. And so it is this kind of strange feedback loop that's happening between Fox News and Donald Trump that is creating more and more problems for him. Now, at the same time, it's providing him cover. It's providing Republicans with talking points that are helping to keep um, the Republican Party behind Donald Trump and thus protecting him from impeachment. But it's it's definitely, I think, leading his presidency down a path that probably even the people at Fox News would not prefer to go. Is anybody in control here? Is Donald Trump in control of Fox News? Is Fox News in control of Donald Trump? Are they both in hawk to a certain portion of the conservative base? Does anybody have the actual capacity to direct events? Or are we in a kind of endlessly refracted reciprocal series of relationships where everybody is trying to respond to everyone else and nobody ends up knowing why they got led down the path they ultimately got led down. So I tend to think that it's ultimately the latter, that it is 
a lot of feedback loops and a lot of responses that don't necessarily have one particular base of I know exactly what's going on and I'm going to make these things happen, right? There's no like 10-dimensional chess that's happening somewhere behind the scenes. I think that we tend to overcredit the administration and Republicans with control over what's happening and we undercredit conservatives and consumers of these media with a kind of savviness um, to understand what's going on. But I don't think that there's anyone right now who's kind of the puppet master or any institution or source of power. I think that it is very much reactive. And I think that in many ways, the impeachment crisis has revealed that. It was all fun and games when it was just spinning these stories and these conspiracies about the Democratic Party. But when the president acted on it and when Democrats said, hey, that's enough, we're we're going to start investigating, we're going to start investigating this, then things began to change. And, and by things began to change, I mean, we saw real movement in polling and public opinion when it came to how Donald Trump was conducting his administration. There's a dynamic that seems to me to be emerging that I want to trace, but it's I'm not even sure I can quite explain what what I think it is here. So so let me give it a try. Donald Trump as a figure both in Republican and conservative politics, but also as a media figure, uh, he is what we'd call differentiated in the market. He he has always, from the moment he burst into politics, taken positions the other Republicans didn't want to take, said things the other Republicans didn't want to say, and then created this dynamic where you were either with him or against him and forced these constant loyalty tests on, you know, were, were you with the base that he represented or were you not? And as that has continued and now moving into this impeachment story where what he did with Ukraine is so bald-faced and so obvious and so undeniable, what it seems to me to have done is created a situation where it sharpens the difference between conservative media and news. And you see this in some of the crack up at Fox News. I mean, one of the arguments Fox News has always made about itself is that, well, look, we might have these opinion journalists in primetime in the evening and on Fox and Friends in the morning, but during the daytime, we do hard news. Look at Shep Smith. And it's not coincidental that it's during this period that Shep Smith began getting into fights with Tucker Carlson um, on air uh, across their different shows and then ultimately left the network and was followed out by a certain number of the hardcore news people at Fox. And so now we're in this position where Donald Trump in the way he's acted, in what you need to contort yourself to say and do and ignore and believe to defend it, it's not possible to straddle the worlds anymore. And so Fox News and um, the conservative media that is beyond Fox News is either being forced to detether even more from the reality of the situation or is choosing to detether even more because that's a good market decision. But either way, the ability to split the difference uh, becomes weaker and weaker. And it seems to me that's going to make this ecosystem even more detached and problematic. Yeah, one way I like to think about this is that the first three years of the Trump administration were a series of loyalty tests, and impeachment is the final exam. This is the time when all of these loyalty tests actually matter because it brings conservative media around him, it brings Republicans around him, and it makes sure that that, that bulwark of conservative institutions stays firm, even through these these investigations that in which reality and what you're hearing on Fox News and what you're hearing out of the White House are very, very different. And what I mean by loyalty tests, you can actually see when it comes to Fox News. 
Fox News early on in the 2016 race was a little skeptical of Donald Trump precisely because of those things that you're talking about. Fox News saw itself as a a conservative network, and Donald Trump was not a particularly conservative politician. And when Donald Trump calls out Fox News in the spring of 2016, it begins to lose viewers. Conservatives side with Donald Trump instead of siding with Fox News. And so actually what you see over the course of 2016 into 2017 after Trump wins the election is that Fox News begins to change itself in order to reflect this new kind of you know, not really conservative politics, but nationalist right-wing politics of Donald Trump. And you see that in the change-up in the in the evening lineup, right? They bring in Tucker Carlson. They bring in Laura Ingram, these very nativist nationalist presenters in the opinion hour, and they push out people who are more news-oriented or were more kind of establishment Republican, never Trumpers. And the, the recent fights between um, – Shep Smith and Sean Hannity go directly to this. It was clear even before Shep Smith left that he was low man on the totem pole when it came to the fight with um, Sean Hannity. He was the one who was told to stop fighting about it. Um, And really, Fox News has chosen to side with the Trump administration to reflect Donald Trump's politics. And that's not just because of who Donald Trump is. That's because they get blowback from their base, their viewers, whenever they deviate from Donald Trump's message. So it's it's really difficult to make sense of Fox News's choices if you just think about it in terms of Donald Trump. You have to think about it in terms of his relationship with the base as well. But the other thing it seems to me that you have to think about it in terms of is the decisions being made every single day by elected Republicans um, in Congress, but also all across the country. The thing that is really striking as an asymmetry between the Democratic base and the Republican base is that if you poll Democrats on what news sources they trust, they trust all kinds of things. They trust everything from left news sources all the way to things that are center-right, like the Wall Street Journal and The Economist. They trust NBC. They trust ABC. They trust CBS, The New York Times, The Washington Post, The LA Times. And conservatives don't – it will say in polls that they don't trust anything that is not uh, actually conservative. They trust Limbaugh. They trust Fox News. There's a Pew poll in the 2016 election asking – uh, Clinton voters, you know, for their top news sources and number one was CNN and it had like, you know, 14 percent and then MSNBC and New York Times and Fox News on the right had 41 percent. There's nothing even close to it in terms of its consolidation of that base. And that seems to have given Fox in particular, although other conservative outlets in in, in general, a power to keep elected Republican officials in line because they don't have their own base. They don't have alternative ways of reaching their primary voters that are really powerful. Um, and it seems to me to be Fox News's central role right now, which is kind of making clear what the party line is going to be and then enforcing it on uh, against any Republican who might step out of it. And that's the way that they've created a very different situation for Donald Trump than what Nixon faced in the 70s. I think that's exactly right. I mean, Nixon was in many ways the start of this process because he's not only berating anti-Nixon media during his presidency, but he's actually consciously lifting up this argument about liberal media bias and this idea that, oh, you know, you think that Walter Cronkite is the most trusted man in America, but actually he's been compromised by his liberal bias. And that argument 
doesn't just take off as a kind of media criticism, but it becomes, over the course of a few decades, central to conservative identity. Part of what it means to be a conservative in the United States is to consume these alternative media and to distrust non-conservative sources. That's a much longer story, but it's something that gives a source like Fox News and these other conservative media outlets real power in a way that's simply not paralleled on the left, not paralleled among liberals, not paralleled among Democrats. And Fox News then gets this kind of disciplining power, not just because the conservative base of the Republican Party listens to it, but because at the same time that that search for conservative media outlets is happening, the parties are weakening. And so you have a Republican Party today that, as far as like a political institution, is an institution largely in name only. All of the traditional functions of a party have been outsourced. And the messaging functioning of the party has been outsourced to conservative media. And so Fox News has a real political power. It has a real partisan power because it's actually functioning as an arm of the Republican Party in the way that there just isn't a liberal media uh, parallel to that. And that gives it real power not only to send out messages, but to reflect back where the base is and to discipline Republican office holders who might step out of line. And you see this happening again and again. One place where you see it is back in, I think it was 2014, when Eric Cantor runs for re-election and loses his primary because of his stance on immigration. That's something that Fox News wasn't the leader on. The base was the leader on this. Um, Fox News tried to send an immigration reform message, and the base roundly rejected it. Um, but then Fox News gets back on board, and Fox News and the base attack this idea of immigration reform. And any politician who promotes immigration reform gets defeated in their primaries. And so it's a complex process, right? Because it's not just if Fox News attacks you, you lose. But it's this kind of combination of political forces of which Fox News is a really important mediator of what the base wants um, that has a, a transformative power in American politics. Nicole Hammer, thank you very much. Thanks so much, Ezra. That is this week's Impeachment Explained. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment, go rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're getting your podcast. It really helps the show or send it to a friend, a frenemy, somebody you would like to see impeached. <laughs> Impeachment Explained is hosted by me, Ezra Klein. It is produced and edited by Jeff Geld, researched by Roger Karma, engineered by Cynthia Gill and Arnie Erdat. Our executive producer is Liz Nelson. And we are, as always, a Vox Media podcast production. <laughs>